Hi, Fellowship Bentonville. Mickey Rapier and I just want to come to you during the holiday season and to thank you, first of all, for your generosity, uh, really, of even getting Fellowship Bentonville off the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, this congregation was birthed out of your hearts and through your prayers and through your generosity, and we know that and are grateful for that. But one thing Fellowship has done historically is practice another kind of generosity at the year end. That is, we give to something we simply call the gift. And the gift is an opportunity for us to give a special year-end gift that we pool together as a body, and then the elders disperse that to ministries and to other operations around that just continue to bless, not just fellowship, but ministries you know, all across the world at times. Mm -hmm. Last year, this body gave collectively $660,000. Amazing. An incredible amount of good. Mickey, tell us about the history of the gift and even where this idea came from. Yeah, Robert Cup and I were reminiscing about this the other day. We were trying to figure out just how long we've been doing the gift. And we think it's definitely over 20 years. But it came about when Robert Cup and Gary Harrell and I were sitting around a table and, and, and thinking about Christmas. And uh, we were just reflecting that we give gifts to family, we give gifts to friends. But the one who's done the most for us, we didn't have a mechanism for giving back to him. And so we instituted the gift as an opportunity for the people of fellowship to give a gift to God during the Christmas season. And, and you're right, the people have been tremendously generous through the years. The elders take what has been given every year and they determine. Sometimes back in the very beginning, uh, all the funds were used for fellowship projects that we had going on. And that's still true today. Sometimes it's dispersed, as you said, locally, regionally, and globally. But uh, whatever the case, uh, you know, our, our giving is an act of worship. Mm -hmm. And so we give back to God and uh, God has blessed this church and so many others through the gift. Yeah, it really has blessed a ton of others and ministries that we know and partner with all mm -hmm. the time that we're able to substantially uh, bless at the end of the year. Uh, we want to ask our families to do this, for each household to pray about how you'd want to participate in that. Our household's doing the same thing and then just Take the leadership of the Holy Spirit and respond to that and give as generously as God's prompting you to give. Uh, you can do that easily online. That's the easiest way to do it. If you'd like to grab an envelope and write a physical check, you can go out to the community booth after any service and pick up an envelope, and that'll be the mechanism you can use. But we do want to ask you to continue living as generously as you have been so far. God bless you, and we hope the holidays are fantastic. God bless. My name, oh, thanks for the response. <laughs> I never expect the response. But my name's Rochelle Quintanilla, and I serve on staff here with Student Ministry. And I'm just feeling a bunch of joy this morning. And I think that's for multiple reasons. One being that it's first Sunday, and the students are in here, and that brings me a lot of joy. The second reason being that one of our very own Jackson is getting baptized this morning, and that's a joy to celebrate. But also, too, because it's Advent season. We're in the second week of Advent. And honestly, you guys, Advent is my absolute favorite time of the year. And that's not because my Christmas is perfect, because I promise you, like every family, my family also has their things that makes it difficult and hard to gather during the holidays. 
But Advent season is my favorite because it's a time where I get to be really intentional and I get to focus in on the person and the character of Jesus, and that brings me a lot of joy. And so if Advent is an unfamiliar word to you, let me define it by saying it is a four-week season where we anticipate and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ up until Christmas Day. And so contrary, actually, to what may be the pace of our world and your really full, busy schedule, say, around this time of year, Advent can actually be a time where we as a church body get to slow our souls, declutter our minds, and really open our hearts to tune in to the person of Jesus Christ and how his first coming and the promise of his second coming absolutely changes everything. And so as a church, we want to help you guys practice this Advent season outside of these four walls. So as you continue to go out and be the church in your homes or your schools or maybe even your workplace, we as a fellowship church want to give you resources to do so. So some of the Advent resources that we have for you is that one, there is a daily devotional that you can sign up for and subscribe to. It's a daily email that you'll get that you can either read or listen to on your drive to work or your drive to school. And it's just simply a five-minute devotional. And it's one of my favorites because it's actually written and recorded by our very own fellowship staff. So unlike other devotionals, it's a really cool one that's actually personal to us. And I love listening to the stories and the guidance of our staff. Another resource is that Fellowship has a ton of super talented artists who have collaborated, written, and even recorded some albums specifically for this Advent season. So we have a couple of albums. You can find them anywhere that you find your music, and I encourage you to go and listen to them during this season and continue the worship in your homes outside of the church on Sunday mornings. The last resource is not a fellowship resource. We did not write this book, but it is this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly, and it's a wonderful book that focuses in on our Savior's heart, his character, and just the person of Jesus Christ. And we actually have some free books out there on the resource table. And the way that you could use this for Advent this year is that if you're a reader, this will be really easy for you. I am not a reader, so that's, this will be hard for me, but I actually do want to read this book because so many people have said so many great things about it, but there's 23 short chapters. Read a chapter a day. They're like five pages long, and spend each day reading through this as you prepare your hearts for Christmas Day throughout this Advent season. So also to mention with Advent and Christmas is our Christmas service schedule. So we have four services over the span of the two days, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. We encourage you and your family to choose one of these four to come and celebrate Christmas this year. So we've got 2 o'clock, 3.30, and 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and then this 10.30 service on Christmas Day. Now, I mentioned at the very start that I'm filled with joy this morning, and one of those reasons is because we have a baptism of our very own student in FSM. His name is Jackson. He's a part of the 11th grade boys cell group. Actually, I see them moving over there. 11th grade boys, will you wave at us? Will you just say, hey? Yeah! So these boys, as they make their way up to the stage, 
are a testament, and anybody who knows Jackson, his family, his friends, they're a testament to that if you know Jackson, you know God's joy. Jackson is incredible, he's amazing, and we get to celebrate his baptism this morning. And so I'm gonna pass it over to his father, and he's gonna talk a little bit more about Jackson and his love for the Lord. Thank you so much, fellowship family. Uh, we just, first, I just wanna say thank you uh, for the love and support uh, that you've provided our family over the years. Uh, we've been members here at Fellowship for eight years, and uh, what a life transformation, not just for Adrian and I, but for our son, Jackson. And uh, a few years ago, he, uh, uh, one night, he'd been asking a lot of questions, and we've really been digging into the scripture, and, and uh, it was after watching Jurassic Park, nonetheless, <laughs> that uh, he started asking some really, really serious questions about, hmm, what happens, you know? And uh, it was right then and there that, that we knew that he was ready, and uh, he asked Jesus uh, to be the Lord and Savior of his life. So it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. It's been a few years that we've been waiting to do this today, but he wanted to come before you this morning to, uh, to this public profession of faith. And so Jackson... Uh, is it your declaration and your testimony that you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of your days? Yes, I do. All right. Oh. <laughs> well, Jackson, is is my honor and privilege as your dad and as your brother in Christ. Put your hands up to your face. Here, there you go. Ready? All right, ready? To baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. a season of expectant, purposeful waiting for the fulfillment of the prophetic promises of Scripture. A season of inspiration found in the remembering and retelling of the stories from the first Advent as Israel awaited the arrival of their Messiah. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of our Creator God, themes of hope, peace, joy and love emerge teaching us now, in the second Advent, how to be purposeful in our waiting. Encouraging those who lack hope. Bringing peace where there is strife. Spreading joy to the broken. And selflessly loving others, all the while looking forward to the return of Jesus and his good rule and reign in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Come, Lord Jesus. Come.
Good morning, Fellowship. Fellowship. We are the Cole family. We live and serve in Mali, Africa. This morning, as we light the Bethlehem candle of peace, please hear from the word of the Lord from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray, fellowship. Our Father, we love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We are so grateful to be called your children, and we're so grateful for this child that was born, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, this power that this child has that has been given to us, Lord. We are so grateful. Lord, we know that we are weak. We know that we are unable to accomplish the task you've given us, but we know by this child by his power, and by his spirit, we can do all things through him. So Lord, we are grateful and we are thankful. God, we just pray right now that you will be with Fellowship Bentonville. We pray that you will be with everyone who is trying to make your name famous. And Lord, we will leave all the results into your hands. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amina.
Our family loves those commercials. No matter what we're doing, when one of those comes on, we're locked in. Like we're stopping what we're doing and we're just staring at nature. And uh, sometimes I want that for my everyday life, just a button to press. I'm like, I just need 15 seconds, like just of calm and of peace. But I find it very interesting that YouTube, who thrives off of sending content at us, even they see the need to pull back a little bit. Now, they only give us 15 seconds, and there's a Buddhism reference, but it's something, right? <laughs> Gives us just a minute to pause. Some of y'all are probably wearing uh, some type of smartwatch or health tracker or something like that that actually will alert you when it's time to stop and breathe and to slow down a little bit and to kind of find one of those moments of peace. There's something about us as humans that craves peace. We want it. We really want to have things be peaceful and whole. That's within us as individuals, but also in our society. There's a, a scene from a classic early uh, 2000s movie called Miss Congeniality. It's a great movie where William Shatner is asking every Miss America contestant, what's the one thing that our society needs? And one after another, they all say the same thing. World peace, world peace. There's something about us as humans, we crave it. We need it. We desire it. But what actually is peace? How would we define it? Here's a kind of a working definition. Peace is wholeness and tranquility. It's calm. It's put together. It's not broken. The problem with this definition is life is way too up and down for us to ever find this or to experience it. I would wager there were probably many car rides, most car rides, especially if you have kids, on the way here that were the exact opposite of this. I don't know if I've ever had a tranquil car ride with my kids, something that's just really, really peaceful. Finding a peaceful moment, well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. You exist. I couldn't see anybody there for a little while. Finding a peaceful moment in Benton County can feel very, very elusive. Uh, maybe we'll find moments, but it's hard to find extended seasons of peace. And I think that's because there's an important Biblical add-on to this definition. Peace is wholeness and tranquility that transcends circumstances. So it's not something that's dependent on what's going outside of us, but wholeness within us. We'll talk about where we actually derive that from uh, this morning. How does this work? Like, how do we actually experience this? And it's, sometimes it's harder to explain than it is to actually just look at an example. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter one, 
And looking at one of the, the brightest pictures of peace I think we have in a character in the Bible outside of Jesus himself walking to the cross. And it's, it's the story of Mary as she receives the news about Jesus's birth. And it reminds me that just as light shines brightest in darkness, that's where we see it the most, right? We just got an example of that. Peace shines brightest in chaos. So we don't discount those seasons, but we actually look for ways to experience the peace that we say we get to have through Jesus. And often we see them in those circumstances. So here we go, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. I'll read it for us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So for context, a lot has happened in the first 25 verses before we get here. Uh, Mary has a relative named Elizabeth, some sort of cousin most likely, and Elizabeth has actually found out through an angel coming to her husband, Zachariah, that she is going to be pregnant with a son. His name will be John the Baptist, and to know Elizabeth is that her and Zachariah were very advanced in age. She was barren. She wasn't able to have kids, and so this too was a miracle a birth that was coming. So when it says the sixth month, it's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So she's six months in, and now the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to deliver some news. And we get two details briefly about Mary at the very beginning of this story. It's that she's a virgin and that she's betrothed to Joseph. So let's talk about those for just a second. The literal Greek translation of the word virgin here would be that she had not known a man. So no sexual relations or intimacy that would allow her to be pregnant with a child. Do I need to explain anymore or are we good? Got that one? Okay, let's move on. The second one, she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. The reason you don't see the word engaged here is because betrothal was a more intense form of engagement that we might know today. So they weren't married, but they were pledged to be married. And so to end this, you would actually have to get divorced. And any type of pregnancy in that betrothal period would be violating the moral law of sexual relations before marriage. So this news that she's about to receive comes at a really interesting time in her life. And so Gabriel simply greets her by calling her the favored one. Oh, favored one. He says, the Lord is with you. And I have to believe based on this interaction that something's going on in Mary where she's going, what does that mean? It says she's greatly troubled trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel, Gabriel, must recognize it because then he replies to her without her really talking yet and says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's just stop and let that sink in just for a few seconds. The magnitude of what has just been communicated to this young girl. The breadth and the depth 
of this information. Now, I don't know this, but I would assume there were probably some Jewish women who maybe prayed for this to be them, longed for this. They knew the prophecies of this Messiah coming. Oh, if I could be the one. And you've got thousands of years of history tied to this, now culminating in one young girl. And as a teacher, one of the things that I try to do in any story, especially if I'm covering characters, is to put myself in their shoes to understand what would they be thinking, what would they feel. Let's just be honest. Men will never fully understand this one. As a guy, I just cannot fathom have an ability to understand the fears of a young teenage girl and an unsolicited pregnancy, something that she didn't ask for. No idea fully what she would be feeling. I do know this, if peace is, is wholeness and tranquility, I don't think I would have any of that in me at that point. Just a lot of confusion, fear, anxiety, what's coming, what are people gonna think? Will anyone actually believe me? Will they believe that this news is true? And so it's really important to see how does Mary respond and we see her give two lines between her and the angel. The first is this. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, when the angel came to Zechariah, her relative, he actually asked for a sign to know that the prophecy of his child, the, the delivering of this news, would actually be true. Mary does not ask for a sign here, which I think shows an immense amount about her faith and what she's processing through. She does ask a, a question, but I don't read this as a lack of faith, but more as a logical question for clarification. Let's state the facts. I am a young girl. I have not been with a man. How is it that I'm supposed to be pregnant? And we don't get a full physiological explanation from Scripture on how that happened, but what we see in verse 35 is the angel answers with the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's gonna be a miracle, but it's gonna happen through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Now, as mentioned, Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but God graciously gives her one through the angel Gabriel. Verse 36, behold, you know your relative, Elizabeth, who's well old in years, she's advanced in years, She's conceived a son, and this is now the sixth, months, sixth month of her pregnancy with her who was called barren. She shouldn't even be able to have this happen, but she did. Let that be a sign that what I'm telling you is going to be true because nothing is impossible with God, and that's how he ends it, and then he departs from her. What do you do with that information? How, like, if you're Mary in that moment, how do you respond? And I love this line that she says before he departs. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's this state of peace within Mary, of asking questions, looking for some logical explanation, but then just to submit and to say, hey, I'm a servant of the Lord Most High. If this word is from him, let it be. May it be as you've said and I'm here to follow. Martin Luther actually quotes St. Bernard in saying that there are three uh, miracles of the nativity that we see here. Two of them are, are pretty obvious, but here they are. Miracle number one, that God and man should be joined in this child. 
that Jesus could be fully God and fully man, this hypostatic union is what it's called, that is a miracle that our brains cannot comprehend. Miracle number one. Miracle number two, that a mother should remain a virgin. Again, logically, physically, that makes no sense that the Holy Spirit could do this. Miracle number two. And then the third one, that Mary should have such faith as to believe that this mystery would be accomplished in her. He goes on to say that the last of the three is not the least. That there was something incredible happening within her to bring her peace to actually submit and to say, Lord, I will follow you, even in the midst of all that this is going to bring and dramatically change my life in more ways than she could even comprehend and in more ways that we could even understand right now. So what, if you're married, what do you do with all this info? How do you tell your parents? Like, hey, mom, dad, y'all know the prophecies, right? The Messiah is coming through a virgin. Guess what? What do you do? And this is where I think we see the peace of Jesus within Mary, literally, actually playing out before our eyes. She does two things. Number one, she runs to some trusted people. It says she moved with haste. She went with haste, and she goes and finds Zachariah and Elizabeth, probably to, to see with her own eyes that you know, her old relative is actually pregnant, but just to be around trusted people. This was probably a three- to four-day journey, so it wasn't just a quick go from this house to that one. It was a journey for her. And in a lot of ways, Elizabeth is way too old to be having a kid, and in many ways, Mary is way too young. And so she gets there, and notice the first thing that we have recorded Notice what happens, that John, who is in the womb of Elizabeth, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. John's exaltation of Jesus began in the womb, and then he would devote his whole life to it. And and now you've got the Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth and giving her information that we haven't seen Mary give her yet, and she knows what's happening. She says with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come here to me? She knows that she's in the presence of royalty in that moment. And and I truly believe that Mary ran here and that this is the story we have recorded very intentionally. Because there's there's something sweet about a gift from the Lord to experience his peace through trusted people, through people in our lives, whether it's our family, whether it's our community groups or our cell groups, uh, whether it's friends or neighbors, but to experience some of the peace that God has for us and actually experience it through doing life with trusted people and sharing hardships and rejoicing together. And she runs there. But not only does she run to trusted people, ultimately she finds peace in a trusted God. And it's the same for us. And In the midst of Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary actually begins to sing this hymn uh, that she's written. It's an 11-verse section for Mary. You're actually going to hear it read by a young girl from our congregation here in a few minutes who's probably about the age of Mary. And it's the first of uh, three hymns in Luke chapter 1 and 2. It's called the Magnificat. And it comes from her first line where she says, in this moment of being with her relatives, my soul magnifies the Lord. And what's beautiful in this section is that Mary is weaving in with her own words 
up to like 12 allusions to Old Testament scripture and prophecy. And so she's very wise, very knowledgeable. She knows the scripture. She loves the Lord. She's humbly submitted to God. And we don't know if she composed this on the spot, which would be incredible, or if on that three to four day journey, she's just going through these promises that she knows. But out comes this hymn. And it's a beautiful representation of her resting in the peace that comes from God and exalting him in that moment. And we see that there's, there's, there's peace living in and through her, which tells me something about peace. There's no way that peace could be the absence of chaos. No way. I'm hard-pressed to find something more disruptive and chaotic for a young girl than a pregnancy before marriage, especially at that young age, young teenage age. So what is it? If it's not the absence of chaos, we see really specifically from this text that peace is the presence of Christ. It's the presence of Christ literally within her. And for us, the presence of Christ that continues in our lives today. That's where we find this ultimate peace that transcends our understanding, that provides us that wholeness, even in the midst of circumstances or chaos around us. Mary's the living testimony of what it looks like to have that anchored hope that we talked about last week help settle peace in our lives. What does that look like for you and for me? Like if you think about it in your life, are there examples where the peace of Christ has so overwhelmed you that it's caused you to act or react in ways that you couldn't explain on your own, but it's just that peace of Christ settling in your lives in the midst of chaos. A little honest moment here, okay? I understand that for most of us, this includes me, in services, we don't remember a lot that happens in here, a lot that is said after about a week, okay? Not offended, it's just true. It's really hard. We definitely don't remember much that happens more than a year ago from a Sunday service. And I've had a few of those in my life, and what happens is something stirs so much in me that, that God locks in a moment tied to some, something that I felt or heard from him, and it locks in that memory that's changed my life in the way that he moved. And it happened to me 364 days ago. So December 5th, 2021, we were still at the Rogers campus. We hadn't launched Fellowship Bentonville yet, but our Bentonville team was actually leading out on that service uh, that morning. And I was doing announcements in a Christmas light suit that's like a triple extra large. Uh, Mark Schatzman was teaching on this very passage, but neither of those things were what made it very memorable. No offense, Mark, if you're in here. It was a song. It was a song that was sung and, and the story behind the song. And I'll never forget it. As the lights kind of came down, uh, Haley Sullivan, who's here singing and leading with us this morning, and Andrew Ogden, who's leading, playing keys this morning, stepped out. And with strings behind them, they began to sing a song. And what most people didn't know was that Andrew's dad had passed away in England just a couple of hours before he was on stage. And Seth Prim, who was leading, actually texted him and said, man, we've got it. Like, be with your family. We, we can handle this morning. And uh, Andrew responded to him and said, no, I want to be there. His dad was his hero, his mentor, his best friend. He's the one who taught him how to lead worship. 
how to play the piano, how to live life as a man who humbly submits to God. And in the midst of grief that morning, from kind of behind the scenes, I got to witness an incredible display of peace overwhelming one of my friends. Later, Andrew would write this. I was due to play piano at church that morning and realized there was no better way to respond than the way that Job did when he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, I think about how often we sing the words and encourage one another to praise him in the mountains and the valleys. And I felt like it was an opportunity to do what I had often encouraged others to do. And the song that they came and sang that morning comes directly from the passage that we just read. It's a song called Be It Unto Me. And it pulls from Mary's humble response to the news from the angel that would transform her life. A lot of ways for good and a lot really hard. And she looks at the angel and she says, be it unto me according to thy word. I will trust the Lord in this. So as I was thinking about How do we transition out of this text this morning? All I could think about was that service last year and what it did for me. Um, My wife and I took the video of that service uh, for a couple of months and occasionally would just bring it in front of our kids as we were doing bedtime routine and just have a moment to worship and to tell the story to our kids about God's faithfulness and peace overwhelming one of our friends. And so I thought, you know what? There's no better way to come out of this text than to sing that again with these people, with the same team. So I want to encourage you uh, in this moment, as they lead us through this, um, worship with whatever that looks like for you. Whether it's the raising of your hands or in the quiet of your heart, maybe you want to open Luke 138 and just meditate on that one verse. As we hear from the heart of Mary, her submission and the peace that overwhelms her from the presence of Christ in her life.
My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I was telling Ruby's parents, uh, Jessica and Kevin, earlier this week that there's something sweet about hearing the words of Mary from someone who was about her age and how they just come to life. Because if this is true, if peace is the presence of Christ, then that that you just heard, this is the, the first visual that we have of that being true. That the presence of Christ overwhelming so someone so much that it brings peace when it shouldn't. And it was his mom. And we get to see it in scripture. It's why we light the Bethlehem candle of peace because that's where true peace originates. The incarnation, the prince of peace himself. And when Mary experiences this peace, she runs two places, to trusted people, others, and to God. And the beautiful thing about the, the life the death, the resurrection, and the promised second coming of Jesus is that he transforms our ability to experience both of those, to experience peace with God and peace with others. Not just peace with God as he tore the veil and allows us to have a relationship, but he allows us to experience peace in this world and to deliver that to others. We see that from Jesus's words himself to the apostles before he headed to the cross. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's not the same thing. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And th this peace settles us in and overwhelms us so much that we begin to, to live it out in everyday life. That we begin to forgive and to mend relationships when they have no business being mended according to worldly standards. That we learn to show grace and live so graciously to others that the only thing that people could think of from the outside looking in is there's something outside of this world that is influencing someone to act so graciously. And it's that peace that's overwhelmed us. And we couldn't experience it had Christ not come. We 
couldn't experience it had he not died and rose. So that's why every week during this Advent season, we're taking communion together. So the elements will be passed. During this next song, we ask you to hold on to them till the end, and Seth will lead us in communion together. But I wanna leave us with this as we move into another time of song. And we, we love, most of us love the Advent season, the Christmas season. You heard that from Michelle uh, earlier as well. And why? And there's lots of reasons. But one for me is the contrast that we see. I love contrast. It's why we see light shining in darkness, peace shining in chaos. And the greatest act of peacemaking and reconciliation that was so powerful that would alter eternity began in the humblest form of Christ leaving perfect peace to enter chaos, to make all things well. So we ask that you hold the elements in this time of worship. Thank you. 
Let's look at the scripture together. John penned these words in Revelation. He said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He who was seated on the throne said, let's say it together. I am making everything new. Oh, it's good news. You can have a seat. You know, as we sing a song like it is well, when we say it's well with my soul, that can only be true if in the future, if there is a day that it will be well completely, that we'll be reunited with those that have gone before us. That the pain that we experience now that we'll be able to see, see it redeemed. That's the only way that we can say that, is if all will be well. And there's a quote by uh, a woman from the 14th century, um, a lady by the name of Julian of Norwich. And she lived in a time in the, in the 14th century. Um, I just want to give you a little context. Um, it might sound familiar to you. Uh, there was a pandemic that was raging uh, in the UK at that time called the Black Death. And it actually just came in waves all through her lifetime. And uh, she saw friends and loved ones uh, taken by this pandemic. It was all, she also lived at a time where uh, the Hundred Years War had just ended and there had been all kinds of political turmoil all through her time. Uh, as well as some church uh, issues in the church that were happening, some drama there. Um, and so, as you can see, not totally unlike our day and age. Um, and she penned these words. Actually, she was very sick, and she was on her sickbed, and she had a vision of Jesus. And she was lamenting the brokenness of the world to Jesus. And this is what Jesus looked at her in her eyes and said, sin is inevitable, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And she penned these words. She's actually the first uh, English woman that we have any writings from. Um, but she penned these words out of that vision. And uh, it's, just, it's actually a quote that's been really special to me for years. And in 2020, um, we, mo we moved into a new house uh, and uh, we inherited this big chalkboard that's like built in uh, in our kind of living dining area. 
and, I, and we were trying to figure out what to do with it, and I thought, oh, it would be beautiful to have someone come in and create a little art for that. And so I had them actually write that quote out, and then, um, and then they just drew a scene, a really peaceful scene. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, I, I'm an Enneagram 9, and so I love peace. And so it brings a lot of peace into my life and into our home. Um, and uh, we've had that on our on that chalkboard ever since. I've been talking to Joy about, well, we should change that at some point. She's like, nope. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Um, and so it remains there. And uh, also in 2020, um, right near the beginning of it, um, as we headed into this COVID thing, and we were trying to figure out how to record services and all of that. And there was a lot of fear and, and some sickness that was happening around us and, and even death. I began to write a song based off of this called All Will Be Well. And, uh, and kind of wrote the first stanza and then it sat on the shelf. And then in the summer with the racial tension that was coming up uh, and then on into the fall with political division, um, I, I picked it back up and finished the song. Um, all of those things really grieved my heart. And I, I long for the day uh, that we will be united and all will be well. And we'll see one another for who God created us to be. And all those divisions will fall away. So I long for that day. So I wrote this song. And then um, as I'm trying to figure out how this should be uh, put out into the world and, and what I wanted the arrangement to embody the message. And so I reached out to a couple of friends, one at the U of A, who is a choral director there, and the one at, the, at John Brown University, and asked if they would consider coming together to record this piece. And we actually just finished it and are just putting it out into the world this weekend uh, so that it would line up with Peace Week. And I wanted to share it with you this morning. And I just want to encourage you to just take, a, take this time to let hope well up in you. Let the hope that all will be well one day, let it well up in you. Let the peace settle on you as we take this peace in.
Let's stand together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, you proclaim my death until I come again. Don't we long for that day? Let's take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, you proclaim my death until I come again. So let's drink together in his honor. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that, that it can be well with our spirit, knowing that all will be well. And it's all because of you and what you've done. So Jesus, would you just get great honor? Would, would, you, would you allow us by your spirit to honor you in our hearts as we leave this place? Um, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, just one more uh, quick announcement before you leave. Um, if you need prayer this morning, um, if you're like me, um, this is, this is a, 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 an emotional morning. Um, and so it might have pricked you. If you need prayer, it really is our privilege to pray with and for you. And so take us up on it. The grossest are, are up here on my left. They're a part of our prayer team. They would love to pray with you. Or you can come up and any one of us grab us and we'd love to pray with you. Um, and then finally, let me just pray this benediction over you and then we will be dismissed. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Have a great week. We love you.